You are tuned to KVMR, FM Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News for Friday, September 25th, 2020. For their support, we'd like to thank Mama Madrone's Eco Emporium on Broad Street, Nevada City, offering earth-friendly, sustainably made clothing, local and fair trade artisan gifts, home decor and jewelry, and organic bedding and body care. Online store and information, mamamadrones.com. Maze Eatery, family-owned organic conscious foods on Mill Street, Grass Valley, offering Mediterranean Middle Eastern cuisine, locally farmed ingredients for daily scratch-made pitas, falafels, baba ganoush, hummus, and salads. Online pre-order recommended, M-E-Z-E Eatery.com. Well, coming up after a look at our local headlines and weather, NPR will bring you our national headlines. Then, Paul Emery talks with Nevada County Supervisor Heidi Hall about their disbursement of $3 million to the community from the Coronavirus Relief Fund. After that, KVMR's Claudio Mendonca speaks with a member of the Coalition for Racial Justice. After that, we'll have the Grass Valley Downtown Association report with Marnie Marshall. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, it's the California Report, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Now here are today's news headlines. California Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Mark Galley expressed concern today about COVID-19 trends in California. Galley said that California has seen declining case rates, test positivity rates, and hospitalizations in recent weeks. California's seven-day average of new cases is 3,458, and the 14-day positivity rate is 3%. Those numbers are down significantly since California's coronavirus peak in July. He noted, however, that current COVID-19 data is a concern. Wildfires, which prompted evacuations for thousands, Labor Day, and some counties lifting restrictions are believed to be linked to a slight increase in case rates across the state. New hospitalizations have also been on the rise, and short-term forecasts predict an 89% increase in hospitalizations in a month. COVID-19-related emergency room visits have also seen an uptick. We see these trend lines, which have been coming down and then flattening, now look like they may be coming up, and not just over the next two or three days, but over a handful of days. We want to sound that bell for all of you, said Galley. With the current data in mind, Dr. Galley urged Californians to continue to wear a mask, practice physical distancing, wash your hands and minimize mixing, and to get a flu shot. Ubinet reports that the directors of the Nevada Irrigation District have approved the district's 2021 budget, featuring actions to reduce expenses and stabilize reserves. The board took action during its September 23rd meeting. The overall calendar year budget includes a $40.3 million operating water division budget, along with a capital project budget of $6 million and a $24.1 million hydroelectric division budget and a $2.8 million recreation division budget. Excluding capital projects and transfer outs, the 2021 budget reduces operating expenses by $5.1 million from the 2020 budget. In addition, capital projects are being reduced by $5.2 million. The reduction of operating and capital budgets results in a reserve increase of $3.1 million. Pacific Gas and Electric Company reports that more than 80 cases of damage or hazards were found on power lines that had been de-energized for public safety due to the recent and severe wind event. 
They say that those could have potentially led to a wildfire had the lines not been turned off during the Public Safety Power Shutoff, or the PSPS, event that started on September 7, 2020. In a report submitted to the California Public Utilities Commission today, PG&E also said that wind gusts in excess of 50 miles per hour were recorded at weather stations in 14 different counties in PG&E's service area. Nevada County is not in this week's expected PSPS shutdown. The California International Marathon has officially been canceled by COVID-19. The marathon is usually held the second Sunday after Thanksgiving and draws thousands of runners from all over the world to Sacramento. It begins at Folsom Dam, passes through Sacramento neighborhoods, and ends at the state capitol. Sir Harold Evans, the crusading British newspaper man who was forced out as editor of the Times of London by Rupert Murdoch in 1982 and reinvented himself in the United States as a publisher, author, and literary luminary, died this week in New York City. He was 92. His wife, the editor Tina Brown, confirmed his death in a statement. She told Reuters, where Mr. Evans had been an editor-at-large, that the cause was congestive heart failure. From Smoky Fleet Street newsrooms to star-studded literary circles in New York, Evans climbed success with relentless independence, innovative ideas, and an appetite for risks that often led to post-war changes in journalism, publishing, and public tastes on both sides of the Atlantic. In Britain, he helped redefine high-quality newspapers and pushed back legal restrictions on the press. In the United States, he edited national magazines, introduced new scope and glitz to book publishing as the head of Random House. He wrote history books and a best-selling memoir. His wife, Tina Brown, was the editor of Vanity Fair and The New Yorker. He was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II in 2004 for his services to journalism, despite having left Britain 20 years earlier and becoming an American citizen. The fire weather watch for most of our broadcast area has been upgraded to a red flag warning. Timing has been adjusted a bit, with the warning starting on Saturday evening and continuing through Monday morning. With that in mind, everybody be careful. Here's the weather forecast. For Grass Valley in Nevada City, tonight generally clear with lows in the mid-60s. On Saturday, partly cloudy with highs in the low 80s, Saturday night mainly clear with lows in the low 60s, and on Sunday in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, mainly sunny with lows in the low 90s. In the Sacramento area, this evening mostly clear with lows near 60, on Saturday mostly sunny with highs in the low 90s, Saturday night mainly clear with lows in the upper 60s, and on Sunday in the Sacramento region mainly sunny with highs in the upper 90s. In Truckee, tonight mostly clear with lows in the upper 30s, Saturday partly cloudy with highs in the mid-70s, Saturday night generally clear with lows in the upper 30s, and on Sunday in the Truckee area mainly sunny with highs in the low 70s. In Angels Camp this evening, clear with lows in the mid-50s, on Saturday a few afternoon clouds with highs in the mid-80s, Saturday night mostly clear with lows in the low 60s, and on Sunday in the Angels Camp area mainly sunny with highs in the low 90s. That's the KVMR Evening News Headlines. I'm Felton Pruitt. Next up on the KVMR Evening News, here's NPR with a look at our national and international stories. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. 
The White House has been doubling down on efforts to sow doubts about the 2020 election. But as NPR's Sam Greenglass reports, Democratic nominee Joe Biden says he's confident Donald Trump will leave office if he loses. President Trump has now several times been unwilling to promise a peaceful transfer of power should he lose the election. In an interview with MSNBC today, Joe Biden said he's confident the courts, the Congress, the military, and the national security agencies will all uphold the rule of law if necessary. And I'm confident all the irresponsible, outrageous attacks on voting will have an election in this country as we always have had. And, uh, and, and he'll leave. <laughs> the former vice president called Trump's efforts to discredit the results, even before any votes have been cast, a, quote, typical Trump distraction. But some Democrats are worried. On Thursday, Senator Bernie Sanders warned that Americans of all political stripes must take Trump's words seriously. Sam Greenglass, NPR News, Washington. The late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg lay in state at the U.S. Capitol building today. Ginsburg, the first woman in American history to be so honored. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden and his running mate Senator Kamala Harris attended a small ceremony in her honor there this morning. Harris said Ginsburg absolutely and intentionally helped to clear the way for women like her in public office. The justice died last week at the age of 87. Sources are saying tonight Trump has chosen conservative judge Amy Coney Barrett to replace Ginsburg, though those same sources say Trump could still change his mind. If confirmed, the 48-year-old Coney Barrett would become the youngest justice on the court. Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healey today announced the first criminal charges in the nation linked to COVID-19 deaths at a long-term care facility. Member station GBH reporter Marilyn Scherer says at least 76 veterans in the facility died from coronavirus and dozens more were infected. The criminal indictments are against two top administrators of the Holyoke Soldiers' Home. Healy says the months-long investigation looked at whether the actions of former Superintendent Bennett Walsh and former Medical Director Dr. David Clinton amounted to abuse and reckless disregard for life. We are alleging that Walsh and Clinton were ultimately responsible for a decision on March 27th that led to tragic and deadly results. That decision, Healy says, was the consolidation of two dementia units that exposed residents to the coronavirus. In a statement, Walsh's attorney denies any criminal wrongdoing. For NPR News, I'm Marilyn Shera in Boston. The federal appeals court says it's weighing the fate of a Missouri abortion law that includes a provision prohibiting a woman from having an abortion because the fetus has Down syndrome. Three-judge panel of the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in St. Louis hearing arguments over the 2019 measure. On Wall Street, stocks closed up the Dow up 358 points. This is NPR. The European Union is returning to court to try to force Apple to pay more than $15 billion it claims the company owes in back taxes. Terry Schultz reports from Brussels the EU is appealing a July decision that found the tech giant doesn't owe anything. The Apple case will now go to the EU's highest court. The European Commission maintains its decision of 2016 that Apple's tax rate of as little as 1% in Ireland qualified as illegal state aid on the part of the Irish government. That ruling was annulled in July by the EU's general court, which said the commission had not proven Apple received special treatment. Commission spokesperson Ariana Podesta says the EU believes the court made errors on points of law. 
these matters are of great importance in the field of fiscal state aid, uh, and we need clarity on them. Apple, a financial supporter of NPR, says it's confident the European Court of Justice will agree with the lower court. The company complied fully with Irish tax law. For NPR News, I'm Terry Schultz in Brussels. The list of pandemic shortage items continues to grow. Toilet paper, disinfectant wipes, and a number of other products have been in short supply. Now add desks to the list. With so many children logging on to virtual school from home, parents have been scrambling to find desks for their in-home classrooms. Comparatively small problem at a time many kids lack basic internet or computers at home, but parents who have the space have been looking for used desks or in some cases building their own. Crude oil futures prices posted losses for the week amid coronavirus worries. Oil down six cents a barrel today to end the session at 40.25 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. Next up on the KBMR Evening News. This week, the Nevada County Supervisors unanimously voted to distribute $3 million towards the community from the Coronavirus Relief Fund. Paul Emery talked about that today with Heidi Hall, the chair of the Board of Supervisors. I'm speaking with Heidi Hall. She's chair of the Nevada County Board of Supervisors. And we're going to talk about the coronavirus relief funds that have just been released this week. That's a bit of good news, wouldn't you say, Heidi? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's great news at a time when we really need some. Yeah. yeah. It's a, you know, it's a great chunk of money that's going to go back into the community and, and to places that are um in dire need of it. So I'm very excited about this. Tell us a little bit of background about this this fund. So we received um, COVID funding, as did most other counties um, in the state, to help deal with some of the effects of COVID on costs on local government. We received about $10 million. Unlike most of the counties, we turned around and decided to spend $3.2 million on projects and programs that would turn the money right back into the community. Um, so we set up a, uh, an economic and community resiliency group to look at um, where that money should go. Then we also decided to carve some out for broadband connections. And then we also identified the state-owned fairgrounds as a specific entity that needed some assistance. And then our staff did some incredibly great creative thinking um, to get win-win-wins in all of these different categories. Uh, can you tell us about uh, some of the decisions that you made up, up to this point? So the, um, the, uh, the, the resiliency, the economic and community resiliency grants, we gave $1 million to a number of key entities. So the town of Truckee, the right downtown, um, was doing a great job of doing outdoors, dining, and whatnot. They got 400000 the Center for the Arts got 400000 to fund operating expenses. The Miners Foundry, 290000 Sierra Theaters, 150000 for Del Oro and their other um, theaters. The Sierra Community House, which funds safety net services, got 100000 The Food Bank of Nevada County, 100000 And Circle got 60000 to help um, establish vault toilets at Purden Crossing. So you can see that these are not just key institutions, but they're also areas that generate additional 
funds in our community. So it's a win-win for the, for those communities, for people who need to keep their jobs, to keep these institutions from folding. Um, and all of them have expressed great um, you know, gratitude for the funds and indicated that it would help them stay alive and functioning. Another million uh, went to broadband accessibility. Uh, why was this important to the board? Um, and, and what is actually planned with the money that's going to be uh, used? So we, you know, we were really know that broadband is still continues to be the lack of broadband continues to be a key issue for keeping businesses alive for teleeducation and for telehealth, as it has always been here in other rural counties. Um, And right now, with all the schools functioning through um, Zoom meetings, it's incredibly important. So we were able to take 500 households in the Paradale area who are the ones from which the biggest number of complaints have come to the schools about um, school accessibility. So we're those 500 houses were going to be connected to ra- by race communications next year. Instead, they're going to be connected now, all of them, um, by December 30th, so that those kids can be um, functioning in school. In addition, um, race communications agreed to add a new 130 households um, in Labar Meadows area that were also designated as a high priority. So we uh, got a double bang for a buck there. In addition, the the funds that are going to race to connect these houses sooner are going to local contractors and local um, their local hires. So that money is also going to be reinvested in the community. Now, also, uh, interestingly, the um, voted the voted to support the Nevada County Fairgrounds uh, with uh, programs and with with some funding. The fairgrounds has been dramatically. Uh, hurt by the by the virus, obviously, because they what they do is live events. And tell us about uh, about this. Yeah, so they're in a funny category because they're run by the state. So we were restricted in how we could fund them through other means. Um, well, we were able to identify a way to make this work again for multiple entities. So. 700000 is going to be um, split between the Relief Fund and the Nevada County Fairgrounds. And on the fairgrounds, we're going to, they're going to be setting up a building um, for youth. So it's, and they're going to, we're going to increase the broadband accessibility. It's going to be COVID safe and it's going to be staffed. So this is kids or families um, who may still not have good internet access or need to get out of their homes can show up there, use the internet to do their schoolwork. Um, and in addition, this, the fairgrounds is also going to be able to open itself partly for walkers and bicyclists. So imagine that kids who are stuck at home can come down there, do their schoolwork, get out, take a walk, ride their bike. Um, and it supports the fairgrounds and keeps them um, functioning as well. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for the good news. And we'll try to find more good news next time we talk. Great. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Heidi Hall. She's chair of the Nevada County Board of Supervisors. Earlier today, KVMR's Claudio Mendonca spoke with a member of the Coalition for Racial Justice who wished to remain anonymous. 
What is the Coalition for Racial Justice and what does it do? The Coalition for Racial Justice is a multiracial, intergenerational, gender inclusive, queer affirming working class group that organizes local actions to bring awareness and to seek justice for Black, Indigenous, and all people of color in Nevada County. We seek to uplift and center the voices and demands of Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Uh, We take direction from and follow leadership of a core group of local organizers who identify as Black, Indigenous, and or people of color. Our end goal ultimately is to facilitate the creation of a more equitable and compassionate society. And when was your organization founded? Um, so we originally formed in back in June. It happened at a spear of a um, moment. We all met each other um, at a protest in Brunswick. We all kind of collectively been like, hey, what's up? You want to do this instead? Um, and it kind of flourished from there. Um, so it happened very naturally. Is the Coalition for Racial Justice the same group that organized the peaceful marches, including the one that was attacked on August 9th of this year? Yeah. So the the Coalition for Racial Justice was the organizer of the protest from the 9th, where we had violent counter-protesters come and attack, um, you know, innocent and peaceful participants of the march. Um, that's actually, you know, a big reason why we've taken so long to plan another action is because we want to make sure ultimately that our community members are safe, that our participants are safe. We really, we can't have, you know, this community gathering if people are looking over their shoulders the entire time, if people are fighting off, you know, counter protesters. And, um, you know, that was something that was really important to us moving forward is just the safety of our participants. Um, Because ultimately, you know, we are responsible for what happens at our protests, or at least we are held responsible um, for it. Yeah, I don't know if you have anything else to add to that. Anyone else? I just actually, I want to say that our intention with hosting this vigil upcoming on the 26th is because we, after the violent acts that occurred on August 9th, we really wanted to plan the most peaceful, safe event possible for our community to come back out and support black, you know, black justice or to be there to defend black lives. And even though we have picked such a, um, such a personal and peaceful event, it is still somehow being misconstrued. Well, we know how it's, it's been very misconstrued that we are bringing violence into our community. And as local community members, that is the last thing that we want to do. Has your group organized other demonstrations other than the one on August 9th? Yes. Yes. And other than that one, they've been peaceful, right? Absolutely. Yes. Did you have any indication or expectation that what occurred on the 9th would happen? It definitely came at us as a surprise. Um, Usually with all our other demonstrations, we do get some kind of Facebook comments saying like, oh, we'll we'll show up with our um, with our gear against them. But it's never really carried out until August 9th. It, it came of us just out of nowhere in our opinions. It, it was our first event back since we took a, a hiatus for um, COVID cases that are rising in the community. And so I think that kind of built up to um, August 9th left people with a lot of anger. And I, and I think that's part of the reason why we were met with such violence. Um, but it still doesn't um, excuse them. 
Mm -hmm. I think we are a relatively young organization. We haven't been around very long in this community. Um, a lot of us have, have been here since, you know, we were children. Um, <laughs> but as an organization, we are pretty young. Um, and I think that we are still learning all the little bits and pieces that go into planning a successful and safe event. And I think, unfortunately, you know, we did underestimate the aggression that can come out of this community and out of our opposition. Um, I think we had assumed that up until this point, you know, we can come together and we can peacefully state our opinions, you know, exercise our First Amendment rights. But that has clearly changed. That has clearly been proven false. So again, that's, that's kind of why we've taken so much time for this most recent event, the event on Saturday, um, is just to really make sure that our community is going to be safe this time. We're going to do everything that we possibly can to ensure that. And you're planning an event for this Saturday. Could you tell me more about it? Yeah. So this Saturday, September 26th from 5 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. at Robertson Plaza in Nevada City, We'll be hosting a vigil to remember Black Lives Lost. Uh, the purpose of this vigil is to create a space to honor the Black lives taken by our unjust system, while also taking a stand against white supremacy and police brutality. Um, we, our community also needs a tranquil space to heal together after the violent attacks on the peaceful protesters on August 9th. And did your group give Nevada City PD any notice about the upcoming event? No. Um the reason for this is because we feel like um, hosting demonstrations are meant to disrupt this, the social status or the social comfort um, comfort that our um, city kind of has with just staying silent. So every act that we do is an act of civil disobedience so that we have no um, permits or um, confirmation on city officials whether we're allowed technically to have the event or not. There was a city official who personally emailed the um, Nevada City Police Chief our flyer, um, but we personally have not reached out. I see. Could you tell me what the intention of Saturday's vigil is? Um, I think that, you know, ultimately we're coming together to mourn Black lives lost to police brutality, to our unjust system, exactly like, you know, the other organizer here said. I think that we all just need time to come together and to heal and, again, to mourn those lives lost. And I think, you know, like the other organizers said, I also think that, um, you know, given our current like racial and political climate here in Nevada County, I think that unfortunately we kind of have to have little glowing halos and, and white wings right now in order to do any sort of action um, in this county. You know, even with a even with a vigil to mourn, we still have all this negative press calling us, you know, violent protests and kind of whistleblowing to potentially violent white supremacists in the entire region um, to come and attack us. So you can kind of get a feel for, you know, the kind of climate that we're existing in and how difficult it is to navigate. Yeah, y'all have anything to add to that? I think this, um, our idea is peaceful is just coming together for unity and justice um, and calling for equality and human rights together. Um, just standing with one another, being able to heal and mourn as one is definitely one of our um, main intentions for this vigil. The counter protests of August 9th were unexpected. Have you guys thought about or are you expecting something like that occurring this Saturday? That is all we've been thinking about. And that is why it has taken us so long to create another action for the community. We really wanted to make sure we had a solid group of people in place for security and de-escalation. 
that's something that will be different from the ninth. On the ninth, our our um, as a coalition, we continued to um, to address this crowd that was obviously very aggressive and worked up and ready to fight. And now we have a lot of our um, we have a group that we call our risk management, and so they've been focusing a lot more on de-escalation mm-hmm. and trying to not ensure that things do not escalate to an aggressive point. Mm-hmm. And we also, um, we have grown our, the, the group that we have um, acting as security and they will be in place in, in the event and around the event to make sure that if any threats are coming, we will know before they come and that if, any threats do get past to that level and are in the event, then we can remove them. And I would also like to mention that law enforcement has made a statement that they are bringing more enforcements in for this weekend and for these events. So if this law, if law enforcement is at our event, like they plan to be in case for whatever reason they think that we may break out into violence, then it is their duty to protect us and all of the participants of our events if violence does break out from another side. We will not be starting violence. Thanks very much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with the Coalition for Racial Justice. They will be hosting a Black Lives Matter vigil for remembrance, peace, and action this Saturday, September 26th at 5 p.m. at Robinson's Plaza in downtown Nevada City. It's time for the Grass Valley Downtown Association Report with Marnie Marshall. This weekend has a lot of great entertainment on Friday at the Poor House. Well, that's tonight, is Karen Warner starting at 7.30, and she's got the voice of an angel. Also on Saturday at the Poor House is Stacy and Steve at 7.30. At Lucchese tonight, we have Jane Sinclair and Phil Misimone. And on Saturday at Lucchese is Springfield again. And down at Wild Eye Pub, where they have that creek and outdoor area, is on Saturday, Bob Mora and the Third Degree Blues Band, 6.30 to 9.30. And Sunday is John Gurton at 6 p.m. And tonight, if you want to tune in virtually, the Center for the Arts is doing a live broadcast with Kyle Ludson, and that is approximately 7 to 8 p.m. So that would be online. And that's what we've got for people playing downtown. And the new news is that No Street, it was decided by city council, will stay closed through the holidays and then will be revisited in January. So now we can start really planning all the decorations and all the activities that are going to happen for the next couple of months. And, of course, downtown includes all of downtown, not just Mill Street. So be sure when you come down to... Check out all of our stores and restaurants on downtowngrassvalley.com, and we post daily on our Facebook, Downtown Grass Valley. And the mural that is across from the Grass Valley Downtown Association office 
of Lola Montez, painted by Ursula Young, is being finished today. So please come downtown and check out our brand new mural. It's on the back side of the Sourdough and Company wall at approximately 125 Neal Street. And come visit our sweet little Elizabeth Daniels Park. Let me ask you a question, Marnie. You said downtown Mill Street is closed. That means it's closed and there's all the restaurants and stuff are out on the street. Is that correct? Yes, closed to motorized traffic, to be specific. So just that area is a downtown promenade for walking and dining and strolling. Very good. So we've got a lot of sweet things happening down here in Grass Valley, and the skies are blue, so take advantage of this nice weather. That's Marty Marshall with the Grass Valley Downtown Association Report. Thank you, Marty. Thanks, Patrick. Well, that's going to do it for our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Paul Emery Audio. For their support, we'd like to thank Williams Stationery, a family-owned, full-service office supply store and delivery service, also retailing janitorial supplies and office furniture. Located at 112 West Main Street, downtown Grass Valley, since 1949. WilliamsAllValue.com Well, coming up next, it's the California Report, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Thanks for tuning in to the KVMR Evening News.